0: You are listening to a production of WRCT Pittsburgh. Any opinions expressed within are solely those of the participants and do not reflect the views of WRCT Radio Incorporated. Questions and comments can be addressed to the Public Affairs Director at PA at WRCT.org or by calling 412-621-0728.
1: Okay, guys, it's total education hour time, and uh, you know, when I think about education and talking about education, one guy that comes to mind is we really had a good conversation about you know kids and suicide and different things. And this expert, it's I'm glad to have him back on the show, Dr. Chris Ferguson. Uh, Dr. Ferguson, thanks for calling, and uh, we're gonna go. Mono uh, Imano, mano. I think I had a co host last time, so now you're going to have to take me straight up by myself. <laughs> but uh, thanks for calling. And uh, for our, our audience, tell us your background and who, for people yeah. that uh, just to, I'm hoping to have you as a regular now. Uh, so tell us a little bit about what's going on with you and we'll get right into the topic.
2: Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, it's, it's cool being on again. And uh, yeah, so I'm a psychology professor at Seth University, which is down in uh, Florida, it's down near Orlando, Florida and um i do a lot of research on media and media effects uh you know video games video game violence and uh, a bunch of other things but uh i think we're going to talk today a little bit about movies and smoking um and uh, look into whether that has any impact on kids
1: yeah and that's interesting when you talk about that that's a great great point uh you last time said that movies television uh, any type of other things kids are not modeling these things but smoking do you, so you it's not a huge influence on them yes or no yeah 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 so yeah
2: so this is kind of like a common you know belief that we have in a lot of different areas so we, you know there was a lot of talk for a while about like violence in video games and does that cause like mass shootings or bullying or all kinds of other stuff and and it seems like that is kind of Slowly dying down, I think we've kind of gotten used to this idea that there probably is is not a link there um, and now people are kind of worried about like smartphones and social media and all kinds of other stuff. but yeah there's kind of came, there's there's been a push for a while um this idea that you know smoking in movies could result in imitation in teens, and this idea of course that you know teenagers could take up smoking you know possibly because of some movies that have smoking in them. And that that might actually be attributed to a certain number of, of deaths, uh, you know, in, in the United States and, uh, you know, any particular given year. So there, there's actually been a push for for a number of years to make, you know, any movie with smoking in it into an R-rated movie. So you have to kind of think of like, what is it, like 101 Dalmatians, you know, Perella de Vil, you know, who actually – uh, smokes in uh, a movie that right now is a G-rated movie. That you know, if if this you know movement would go forward, would actually like up that to you know, uh, an R-rated movie uh, because one of the characters is uh, is, is smoking in it. So th- there actually was a lawsuit in 2016 about this that actually it, it it got struck down. But you know, it was part of this movement to argue that there's this kind of direct relationship between smoking in movies you know, like the Dalmatians movie and, you know, teens taking up smoking and that can be attributed to actual, like, harm, like, actual, you know, outcomes related to death. And therefore, the movie industry is, you know, responsible for a certain number of deaths every year for for not making these movies an automatic um, R rating. So, so that thing is a really big push. So, you
1: you uh, believe that those types of things, violent video games, if I'm correct, you didn't think that that caused to do violence, but smoking for sure on movies and stuff like that if kids see it at a, a younger age they're more likely to smoke then from your studies oh no 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 I, I don't endorse this oh, okay <laughs> I don't, I don't okay think I thought answer. I no, thought no, no. no, no. So I would make sure that you...
2: <laughs> yeah no, I probably sounded too excited about no 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 so there definitely is this kind of like advocacy, advocacy movement uh, you know, to, to to make this happen but, but that's that is sort of the question is is there really you know like strong evidence to support this type of 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 claims. So I mean we do see these these claims even from groups like the the Centers for Disease Control, you know, CDC, you know, or basically, you know, say that, you know, up to, you know, a, a million kids who are alive this is like, you know, literally one of their quotes, like, you know, up to a million kids who are alive today could be killed because of of smoking in movies. You know, and that's that's crazy. Really extreme so, so 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 so
1: <laughs> so here's my point in all this. It's I think that people are doing these studies really are just not thinking. Cause I mean, the stuff that's available online, they talk about yeah. movies and ratings with Netflix, Amazon, these kids can stream anything they want anytime. So you're basically gonna say all kids are messed up and they're all gonna have addictions and problems because of media. And putting a rated right. R, it I think it's outdated, man. Because right. the fact right. is you can you you can access anything unless you're a really good parent, and the problem is your kids are going to be ostracized if you don't give them a cell phone. Uh, that yeah. they're going to have access to all the stuff far earlier than we did, no doubt in yeah. my mind.
2: Yeah, and unfortunately, at least in this legal case, the uh, you know the judge struck down the you know the lawsuit and basically said that it's not you know you really can't attribute you know specific deaths to you know something like a movie um or you know, or a series of movies. And and as part of what, you know, got me kinda of curious about this was it was in part this lawsuit, you know, that it got a little bit of press attention and, you know, again the claims that were in the lawsuit were, you know, kind of borrowed from the centers for disease control. This kind of claim that, you know, a certain number of hundreds of thousands or perhaps even a million deaths, you know, could be attributed directly to movie smoking. Uh, and uh, kids watching that, so I kind of was get curious about it. So, what is the the evidence, you know, for these types of claims? I mean, you, you never know. Maybe one of these kind of. It, it, I agree with you. It's kind of a crazy sounding claim, but you know, it, you never know. Maybe one of these things is true. <laughs> but but you know, I, I wanted to look at you know the studies that you know, look at, you know, movie smoking and smoking in teenagers, and see what kind of data they have, and and how is that data. Being extrapolated into these types of claims about um, you know preventing a, a certain predictable number of actual deaths, and and we have to keep in mind that most of the studies. So I looked at this you know this group of studies, and most of these are these of like self-report surveys, you know, that are done with teenagers. Right. They, exactly. You know, yeah. Off, which, yeah. Nobody died <laughs> in any of these studies. You know, um, you know, they're, so, they're, they're correlational uh, studies, and
1: it's and, crazy. And they're, it's, you
2: know, they're, they're just self
1: poor. Oh, um, I mean, I can't believe, I mean, <laughs> I, I thought you were going to come out with a shocking study on me. Look at me and my homework studying tonight. I, I, but I love to do that because then I'll go, there's no way. And so... I mean if we can if we want to and having lawsuits we can sue about anything now Doc, Dr Ferguson yeah. that's scary. Right. And mm-hmm. a written contract's not a written contract anymore. It's basically if you say something verbally it could still end up being in a lawsuit. So anybody's mm-hmm. going to try to blame someone else regarding just human nature. The the thing I right. think that when we blame parents we can't blame parents cuz it's human nature. These kids are wired, not based on parenting unless it's negligent parenting. Most of them, it's based on their and their genetic makeup and who they are. Mm -hmm. And parents can only guide them to the right thing. They can't expect to control them. And I think that our parenting style is less controlling as the generation before. But what is better? so if you're gonna so if you're gonna blame every blame the movies for smoking when it's all vaping now anyways this is a pretty outdated lawsuit think about how many kids are Mm -hmm. vaping even though we know vaping's really bad for (laughs) you. sure
2: yeah so i think the interesting thing if i remember correctly in the lawsuit it it was a particular uh, father i believe so the suit was brought by a particular family and, and uh and, and I think you know. Again, if I remember correctly, it was a situation where the, the father and he, I think he had two little children, and they went to see a movie, and they just weren't warned. That, you know, they had no idea that there was a smoking scene in this. I don't know which movie it was, but you know, basically, this dad was you know sort of irate about you know <laughs> yeah. smoking scenes showing up in in you know some movies he brought his kids to. But you know, it, there, there was nothing in the lawsuit like that. The kids took up smoking. You know what I mean? They still were like little kids. You know. Um, so, you know, and I'm, I'm a father, you know, myself, my kid's 15 now, but, you know, to, to me, it seems like, you know, I've taken my kid to a lot of movies, um, you know, and, and we just talk about smoking and say, you know, Hey, look, you know, this smoke is going to kill you. Um, so, don't do that, you know, and, you know, that, that kind of, yeah, you know, that's, you know, that's going to be more powerful than anything that you know, happens in, in a movie. So I mean, what we tend to see is like we, when, when kids take up smoking, I mean, as you said, a lot of this is, you know, sort of genetic anyway, but, uh, you know, to the extent that, you know, kids model that particular behavior, a lot of that just passes down through families. So, you know, really the advice I would say to parents is if you don't want your kids to smoke is one, don't smoke yourself. Um, and two, you talk to your kids, uh, you know, about um, smoking. And there's nothing in movies that is going to be more powerful um, than those two things, um, you, you know. But but I think that parents always have this kind of idea that you know their their control over their kids yeah, exactly. is limited, yeah. which is true. Yeah. Which is true. I mean, there is a limited amount of control, but, but then we, as parents get paranoid about all the other things like culture and peers and, and and movies and things that we kind of see as being, you know, potentially influential. And and as a result, we tend to exaggerate the amount of influence these other things have uh, over our kids.
1: So, uh, your opinion is what my opinion is. This is crazy. And this is when you saw this article uh, Dr. Ferguson you said no no way no way this is the worst lawsuit ever what happened with the lawsuit is it over now and did the parent lose this lawsuit yeah it, the,
2: the lawsuit is again as far as last, last I'd heard at least the lawsuit is over it didn't it didn't progress and the you know the parents uh, you know lost in this case and I think you know one because they, they were the the lawsuit or the, you know the, the family was unable to show that there was evidence that could attribute you know movies to specific you know deaths and 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 second they really couldn't I think show any evidence for harm. Within their family, because again, the, the kids themselves, at least as far as I recall, didn't take up smoking. Yeah, you know, so there was no ev- there was no real cause, you know, to to bring the suit um, in, in in the first place. And and, and when you have you know, suits that involve media, media do enjoy you know substantial protections, uh, you know, for, for good reason. You know, the, the First Amendment protection. So in order to attribute you know sort of harmfulness to yeah. speech. Uh, and I so there's a very very high bar, you know, to uh, to, to hit that level, and um, you know, and and I think that you know part of the argument I do remember reading was, you know, this, there was this kind of argument in the lawsuit that, you know, to the judge basically they were arguing, you know, don't worry about the free speech issues. This is very specific. You know, they're kind of arguing, well, like movies and smoking is the one area that has been shown. I, th- I think where-
1: violence would be different, or I think also premeditated stuff like. Uh, mm-hmm. so let's just go, let's just jump to another pop culture topic, if you don't mind. If you want me to go this yeah, direction, no, no, okay. okay, okay. I'm not. Absolutely. I'm just trying, as I, as you know, and seeing me as an interviewer. I want to really kind of hit everything, and I think we've hit everything on this news article. But if you come on this show, opinion is what only matters, <laughs> and that's the great yeah. thing, and I like that. I mean, but I have a, a knowledge base. Let's go to certain shows, uh, and I don't know how much you're studying these shows. I want to start becoming a reviewer. Uh, I just finished watching uh, just a tremendous show. Uh, called the informer that's on amazon that was bbc that i just was i was blown away how good it was and it showed about terror cell in uh and how they recruit terrorists in Mm -hmm. the uk and it was just really uh, a a a very well done thing so let's just talk about a show like that can that cause someone to say man i want to do the same thing i am now going to uh, get recruited. It Seems like it's going to be a lot of fun. It looks like I'm gonna if I'm in poverty, especially in the UK. And I saw this on BBC. I'm gonna consider maybe looking for a terracell to join and be with. Yeah, that's, that's
2: interesting. So full disclosure, I, ha- I haven't seen the show. It's, it's
1: gonna be. Become- I, 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 uh, I won't. I won't spoil it. You got to watch it. I won't. And <laughs> we're gonna talk about. I won't spoil it at all. But I mean, I just took it like yeah. you know. I thought it was way better than Jack Ryan. I'm telling you, this is a yeah. this is a hidden nugget uh, show, and I'm not trying to promote on especially on this net this show on this station. But 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 what I'm saying, but there's there goes art, and I got other ideas. I'm just going, we're going to go pop culture shows and hit them and say, is this going to lead to copycatting? Um, yeah. The, in in the, in the movie, in the TV show, it started out where there was a shooting, and they just yeah. kept going back to a flashback. And yeah. we're all thinking it's going to be terrorism. And that's right, all And right. that's all I'm going to bring up in that process. But throughout, they show the terror cell, they show uh, Islam, Muslims, and how they get an informer to try to find information about in, in specific cells and, you know, the poverty in the UK and how it yeah. works and all these different things. Well, is that going to make kids go and get radicalized? because of that. There are no, people uh, on there, uh, see, uh, see, see, there are people right now that would disagree with you and say, yes, it will lead to radicalism in the UK. Or yes, sure, some, some yeah. kid's going to decide, I'm, I feel like my life's awful. Let me go and see if that's really true that it's happening in the UK. Yeah.
2: Yeah. There, there's no evidence that, again, you know, watching you know, a fictional depiction or something like that, suddenly, you know, somebody watches a uh, show like that, and decides, well, l- let me see if I can actually kind of like make that work. It, 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 you know, watching television doesn't really, you know, work that no way. It's kind of like you know, right now, that, you know, I, my my TV show watching is kind of limited. But right now, my wife and I are kind of like binging on Once, you know, Upon a Time and you know no, nobody oh, watches once upon a time. oh my time gosh
1: what is that rating come on now there's, there's lots of- <laughs> there's
2: nothing wrong with it there's nothing no shame no shame but i mean nobody watches like once upon a time decides you know like, i want to be a fairy godmother you know what i mean because this looks so cool you know and it's the same real you know principle is that you know pe- people don't seem to be you know influenced in major ways by watching fictional media so yeah it' certainly is true. this is probably where you know some of those concerns come from that you know we do see examples of like terror cells that try to use you know social media. And I then, think like, that
1: influences you know, that would be a good thing to go into later. I think that influences yeah. tremendously yeah go ahead.
2: yeah and and, and, it, and it's and it's a little bit different you know because it is you know actual peer to peer you know sort of influence, but yeah, I mean mostly you know where people get become radicalized is you know in part again, there's probably a certain degree of you know, genetic predisposition, antisocial personalities that are kind of playing some role in that. But it also tends to happen in communities that you know, do at least feel, you know, marginalized and you know, they're economically disadvantaged and they feel like there's some other group that's sort of, you know, taking them down. So you know, the, the 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 roots of you know radicalization tend to be very complicated. But it certainly doesn't boil down to this idea that you know everything's going to be hunky-dory until these people see a TV show. Um, yeah, this yeah, yeah, up yeah. In, the, in the U.S. back. Uh, I'm going like to hit you. I'm going to hit. I'm going to hit
1: you with a harder show than that. I just am bringing that up because I'm so hooked on. I want to watch this last episode of the second time because I missed the. did. It just hit me like okay, then out of nowhere, and I'm like, what clues did I miss? Thank goodness I can go back and yes. watch it when I get off the air with you. I'm going to do that. Uh, so <laughs> I, I like, and I said I got to become Cisco and Ebert or something like that because all my time mm-hmm. spending it. Nights working on my business while the day working for a company. Now, I that, to keep me going to stay up, I, I binge watch things. So, uh, I, yeah. I completely understand. Let's go to another show, let's go to a more extreme show. How to get away with murder. Do you oh, feel that, that? Do you <laughs> feel, do you, and I, I love that show, and I've been binge watch that to where we're at now. Do you feel that that could cause copycat murdering or trying different <laughs> things?
2: Yeah, yeah. No. So, uh, again, no. The, the things we have to keep in mind is, is you know, there, there are two elements of what we might think of as being, you know, copycat behaviors. And what we can say is, like, one is the motivation to commit a crime. Um, and, yeah, you know, I think at this point the evidence is very clear that, you know, watching fictional TV depictions like How to Get Away with Murder, a show I love, by the way. I, I actually do watch that one. Okay. My wife it with me. Um, yeah, so that one I'm very familiar with. Um, yeah, there's no evidence that, you know, that watching a show causes someone to become motivated uh, to uh, commit a, a crime. The, the other aspect, that you, you know, that there may be, you know, more possibility to is sort of like if someone decides to commit a crime, could they borrow a technique from a TV show or a movie? In other words, if if you have this kind of came up with CSI all the time, the idea that, you know, if you, sh- if, you if on a television show. You portray the idea that using bleach to clean up a crime scene, you know, helps you know destroy evidence. Do some criminals then pick up on that and start to try to use bleach at crime scenes? Um, you know, and then there's a little bit of evidence to suggest that sometimes, like the methodology of a crime, you know, can be borrowed from something that is. And, and it appears that news media probably is actually more powerful than fictional media, even there. But. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like sometimes
1: like the actual like technique that is used. Sometimes I think I think I, I think then I, I think like specifically enough uh, shows where it's the end of the world scene or different things like that. I watched a end of the world thing on Netflix that was rated horribly, mm. but uh, it was good. It was getting me excited, and then it literally dropped uh, went went downhill. Look at me, Mr. Review person now. But what I'm saying is that you see shows, you depict depict shows. Like, uh, you know, 13 reasons why, which I thought was a little too out of control when really it wasn't Mm -hmm. as bad as it was. And it was good conversations that were needed for teens because teens are dealing with that stuff to talk about it. But I, I I agree with you. I think it's going to have to be something that's taken place in their lives in real life Mm -hmm. and me. And then that relates to moving forward through media and also influence it cannot right. be just because they watch this television show, they're going to be radicalized. Or just because right. they saw how to get away with murder, they're going to try it. They already had it in their mind that they were going to try it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think one of the
2: big experiments, you know, with that, not so much with radicalization, with, you know, but sort of recruitment ideas was, you know, the United States Army had a video game, America's Army, for a long time that was really kind of designed to be, Uh, You know, a recruitment tool, you know, the idea that, you know, we'll get kids to play this sort of, you know, online first person shooter game and they'll all run to join the army. But 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 they didn't, you know, (laughs) basically, you know, they all play the game, but it didn't really work in terms of translating to, you know, higher recruitment numbers for, uh, you know, the U.S. Army. So this idea that, you know, people engaging with fictional media is going to want them to do that thing, you know, in. In, uh, in, in real life, this doesn't seem to work out, um, you know, for the most part. Or, you know, what you might sometimes have is someone who's already looking for something, you know, and like with social media and some of the carousels that are recruiting, you know, or, you know, insurgent groups or whatever i want to call them that are, you know, recording through recruiting through social media. Is usually the people are already on the cusp of joining a group like that anyway. You know, they're already looking for something um you know like that and you know where social media can be kind of powerful is it can actually you know, put these you know groups together with people that are looking for them in ways that were more efficient than was possible you know 10 15 20 years ago um but in terms of like the actual motivation you know even that doesn't really cause like the motivation you know to engage in that you yeah know, i was gonna say like you know in the united states like going back in the early 90s like the, the big example example was like gangster rap and there was yes. this kind of idea that you know kids listening to gangster rap was going to cause them to become essentially the same same argument to you know, radicalize into these youth gangs you know and, and such and it really was a fundamental misunderstanding of you know sort of race in the u.s and and, and really like what gangster rap was about and, and and what it did and then of course just simply the causes of of, of youth violence and gang violence and such, but it was really kind of like, you know, rather than look at all the systematic problems we had in the U.S. at that time, you know, regarding race and inner city environments, let's just, let's just blame it all on gangster rap, you know? And uh, it was really kind of a, you know, sort of smoke and mirrors of uh, distraction from real problems we had, you know, by blaming those problems on culture and 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 media and unfortunately that seems to be a very common thing that that we do we take you know sometimes a very real problem but rather than having a real like cautious conversation about what the causes of the problem are we find some superficial thing to blame it on so we can all feel better (laughs) you know what i mean and and usually it's a thing that we don't like anyway you know like you know the the older adults in the 1990s who hated gangster rap so it's easy to blame Something on culture that you don't like you know because you didn't like it anyway um, and uh, you know so we oftentimes mix up one is you know our repugnance morally towards something we also assume it, but, uh, that it must be you know harmful um you know but we're always kind of blaming things that we don't understand you know so that happens so to and no
1: it really goes because of- again you're looking at the brain how a brain mm-hmm. reacts how a brain does things. Dr. Ferguson in your studies you'll see that people change dramatically out of nowhere and you never expect it to happen and when they do change and it sometimes change for the worse it's tough because of a specific event or something that made them a switch change who they were and sometimes they'll change back right but you never Mm -hmm. know and that's where you see growth in people in different times of their lives right and it's based on Mm -hmm. circumstances And it's based on choice, so those two things have to go together to really of why our our human will is right, of why we do things.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think you kind of you know hit on you know a particular issue that's important too is that you know in a lot of these discussions about either whether it's crime or. Uh, terror cells or the taking of smoking is, you know, that, you know, when we, when we talk about like media does this or media does that, we really also sort of remove the idea that people are fundamentally in most situations responsible for the choices, um, you know, that, uh, that they make. So there's always kind of this idea that, you know, we're looking for something to blame, but in doing so uh, we're also taking away from people you know a fundamental sense of being able to choose their course in life and as a consequence being responsible um you know for the the you know the choices that you know they make and i'm not, and i'm saying that you know with things like smoking that there aren't some you know predatory practices by the cigarette industry and such i'm sure that yeah you know, there definitely are you know but with a lot of these issues like with crime and such that you know a lot of people that get into criminal behavior, they certainly do come from bad backgrounds and they have a lot of other issues that are going on for them. But they also did at some point fundamentally make a choice, you know, to um, exactly. engage in these types of and, behaviors, it, you know.
1: And it's very hard that choices because those choices really mm-hmm. based on sleep, based on uh, just really not rationally thinking our brains mm-hmm. make these decisions. We all mm-hmm. cannot stay on the straight and narrow forever. We're gonna make mistakes. Right. We're going to be led in a the wrong direction. It's how we respond or how we make the choice, even when presented with something that ultimately would feel great now, but it's not gonna feel great mm-hmm. tomorrow, or it's gonna what right. is going to be the ultimate result. And sometimes we have to learn through lessons not to do it again. So just to look at media saying that radicalized somebody or smoking or suicide, there are so many other circumstances that happen throughout that time period mm-hmm. to do that. So one thing I wanted to ask you before we let you go is, uh, Dr. Ferguson, the whole situation regarding, and I wanted to kind of jump into specifically your your studies and your teaching. What are you ultimately your goal and what you're, how you're teaching your students? Just kind of explain that to okay. us over at Stetson.
2: Yeah, that's that's a fantastic question. So, I mean, I think that, you know, one of the things that – or one of the major things that I hope that, you know, my students will take away, um, you know, from my classes is is really this idea that, you know, when we talk about, like, science and culture and things like that, there's a really a lot of information out there, and a lot of it is really bad. Um, and, you know, trying to help students, you know, have the tools to sort through all this information – and be able to discern you know what what claims actually have good scientific evidence to support them versus like like everything else you know and then the 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 ratio is is actually pretty bad, so you know people do have to have a certain degree of you know skepticism of you know uh, critical thinking um and such and and it is really difficult for for most it's very difficult for most of us, you know, it, it, even for you know, myself and fields that are outside of psychology and media facts, we People talk about like medicine, for instance. I don't have a background in that, and it can be very difficult to parse through, you know, what is actual good advice versus right. what is,
1: exactly. is bad
2: advice. And there are ways of developing sort of a mindset of understanding that, like, even in stuff like that, even our doctors oftentimes are going to give us, not, you know, in, in good faith. And they'll give us some bad advice. Because we're uh, human. And,
1: we're human. Yeah.
2: Right. And we have to be able to sort of like, you know, obviously we don't want to be totally like tinfoil hat, you know, deny everything. Uh, but, you know, we do want to be, you know, appropriately, you know, scientifically skeptical of claims that don't quite sound right, you know, and are able to go right. and look at, you know, actual studies, you know, we don't have to exactly. understand all the statistics, but you know, yeah. to become informed ourselves, and, and yeah. that's kind of what I hope that you know students will take away so, from, he, from the classes that I teach.
1: And that's and why go out in the media? What's the reason, Doctor Ferguson? Why do you go out in the media?
2: Well, I, I think that's still the same the same basic issue is is that you know I think a common thread behind a lot of the things that I I do in terms of my own research is you know what what ex, what sort of excites me for lack of a better way of putting it is is when people make kind of crazy claims um you know about psychology you know or about human behavior like the idea that watching a hundred and, a hundred and one domain or a thousand and one I can't remember now I think the hundred one Dalmatians you know is gonna cause your kid to die you know and um yeah that's that's kind of an out there it might be. Yes. true. No. Um, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. It's sort of, it's sort of, no. <laughs> sort of no. out there. So uh, I the have,
1: a, I have an argument for our next uh, episode, next month, when you and I segment. We're going to go with the effects of social media, because I have a totally okay. different thought process that these people, uh, because of my expertise in social media, I feel that this really does affect the brain. This really does yeah. radicalize and change somebody. Social media, uh, watching it all the time. Because it becomes part of you. It becomes a, the way they create these things. And we'll hear your, your response to that, Dr. Ferguson, next month. Uh, one other, so uh, again, we could find info on you, just get a guy Googling you and also checking out Stetson University. But I appreciate you coming on. But that's, you have to start thinking about that. That's a conversation to have your, with your students. How are mm-hmm. the effects of social media causing mental illness? And and depression. And do you believe and I want you to answer that next month. So I don't want you to give away anything right now. I want you I want you I want you I want that I want that as a tease. And based on that and also I'd love to have you back as a panelist as well. So if you're interested in talking about topics related to education and not as much to psychology, and you want to kind of chime in, let me know because I think you would be fantastic because I think you and I, you are You go off the cuff just like I do in certain ways.
2: <laughs> I definitely do that. No, I appreciate it. That all, all
1: sounds great. All right, it sounds good. Okay, so uh, uh, thanks for calling. And uh, you're listed to Education Hour on 88.3 WRCT in Pittsburgh, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back the Neil Haley show on the total education hour segment. And I tell you what, when we talk education, I have really been excited to talk about the past guidelines and we continue the conversation. Last month, we talked about talking about a security team. This month, we're going to go into some really interesting things involving school entrances and interior classrooms, so I'm excited to welcome the program, Mark Williams. How are you Um, from PASS? Thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it.
3: Thanks, Neil. Hi, it's great to be with you again, and uh, really appreciate the opportunity to be here and, and talk a little bit more about PASS, and also want to thank you for your efforts in highlighting, uh, you know, the importance of of safe schools and common sense approaches to uh, enhancing our, our, our K-12 environments. Thank you.
1: Oh, you're welcome. And I love how we're working together to really just keep our kids protected. It's such an important part of it. These horrific uh, incidences that happen and everything. So let's kind of talk about specifically our topic. Sounds good. All right, so let's go into it. What's so important and about the next step after we uh, get our security team in place? What's next?
3: Sure, um, you know, after the security team is in place, we really, um, you know, just let me back up and put a little context around this. Um, the past approach to security is a layered approach, and and what layered security means it it, it combines components. Uh, within a layer that effectively deter, detect, and delay adversarial behaviors. So, uh, as each layer gets bypassed, uh, the next layer provides additional uh, layers of protection. So, what we were talking, what we're planning to talk about today, I think, were the building envelope and the classroom envelope, and those are those are two layers that sit inside of a district-wide layer, a property perimeter, and a parking lot perimeter. The next layer in is the building perimeter. So. Uh, what, what the safety team really does then is, is kind of pulls together and, and looks at a risk assessment. So building by building, uh, if you've seen, we, we talk about this all the time. If you've seen one building, you've seen one building They're they're all different. Uh, so doing a risk assessment and, and looking at, um, you know, what, what security measures are already in place and, and then identifying areas where you, you may want to enhance. Does that
1: make sense? Yeah, it definitely makes sense because again, when you're looking at the school entrance, you're not talking about the entrance into the into the building building. You're talking the school entrance right when you enter the parking lot, correct?
3: We we talk about actually entering the property. So right when you come onto the school property is the first layer uh, of uh, of security. Then the parking lot is the next one, and then the building perimeter and then the interior perimeter. So we it works from the outside in, absolutely.
1: Wow, and and this is a great thing if we're able to monitor and figure out what's happening when people enter our campus because we can catch things before it before an incident even occurs, right?
3: Exactly. That's that's the goal. The goal of the the components that sit inside of each layer and there's seven of them and I'll mention them briefly here. And the first two we talk about all the time um, as being the most important. The first, the first uh, component are policies and procedures. So we should have policies and procedures for how we look at our property perimeter, how we look at our parking lot perimeter, et cetera, all the way into our classroom perimeter. The next component are people, people, roles and training. Um, the point that I like to make when when I'm talking with groups uh, in, in front of organizations or at conferences where we're presenting is that the the, the most effective things schools can do are have effective policies, procedures, and a vigilant staff and students. Uh, that doesn't cost a lot of money. Um, th- these are the first two components that we talk about all the time.
1: So it doesn't cost a lot of money. And kind of g- g- explain what you mean by that.
3: Well, by by having a policy, let, let's talk about the. Let's talk about the building perimeter, because that's that's really where a, a lot of folks notice that, that security starts, right? They come to the front door uh and in a lot of schools they may have to hit a button on an intercom that and that has a camera and tells you know tell them who you are and why you're here, kind of thing. Um, policies and procedures uh, at the building perimeter are things like you know just uh categorizing your exterior openings. I mean, that's a very simple thing. You look at your open at your exterior openings on your building and you say, uh, I'm going to have primary openings. These are openings that we want to use and that we want people to come in and out of. They're very limited. Um, Then you have secondary openings, which you may use for uh, sporting events or theatrical events or, you know, uh, plays, things like that. Um, And then you have tertiary openings. So the, the secondary and tertiary openings—we have a lot of openings around the outside of a building. Uh, most of them are there for one reason, and and that's to get people out in the event of an emergency. They're not there for people's convenience, to, so they don't have to take an extra twenty or thirty steps uh, from their car or their bicycle or where they get dropped off to get into the building. They're there for emergency egress. And too often, what we find are those openings uh, are not treated. Um, With security in mind, if if you will. They'll have, uh, they'll be propped open. They'll have active trim, you know, lever trim or, or some type of trim or a key in them that allow people to get in from the outside. Does that make
1: sense? So are you spotting that happening still this day and age? And we're talking about public education. I know we also talk about private schools, which need a lot of work sometimes in their security perimeter. But really, are you serious that still these things are going on when you visit schools or hear about it from other people?
3: Well, I mean, we have a lot of existing school buildings that are out there. Um, we have you know, well over, I, I forget what the number is. Um, it's well over a hundred thousand public school buildings that are out there that are, you know, average age of 45 years. So, um, you know, security 20 years ago or 30 years ago when I started into it was, you know, trying to keep kids from sneaking into the gym to shoot hoops on the weekends. Uh, so, you know, we, the, the environment has changed a lot. So, a lot of this is going back in and, and thinking about and retrofitting existing buildings. So it may be removing, if you're going to categorize your openings, it may be, hey, when we look at this secondary opening, we want to remove uh, the key. We don't want to have key access. Um, you know, another policy and procedure would be to, to move to things like patented or restricted keys that can't be duplicated, right, yeah. at, you know, at the 7-Eleven down on the corner. Um, Things like that, just key control policies. Who do we give keys to? Things like that.
1: That's 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 true because because you you would be very surprised as uh, running as head of security to know certain people have access to things and then they give it to parents or someone else or students sometimes after school and the perimeter is not as protected.
3: Right. And that's the, that's the advantage when we start talking about getting into electronic access control. And I know you're pretty familiar with that. Yes, uh, I am. A lot of the electronic access control products. Yeah, we talked about that last time. But, I mean, the, the advantage of, of the electronics is um, you can control who goes through what door and when. Uh, with a key, you know, it's a credential, just like a card is. But with a key, you know, the, the key works every time you put it in the lock. Uh, a card works only when it's programmed to work. So you can control access to your buildings um, a lot, you know, a lot better through through an electronics me- electronic means. But if the school district doesn't have the the means to uh, install access control, going to a patented or restricted keyway where the, yes. the key blank is actually controlled by the school, then and having a good key control policy with keeping track of who has those keys. Uh, is, is, you know, is a, a cost-effective alternative to that.
1: And when you have access control and they have the monitoring to see when everyone's accessing the building and you have motion detectors and also video management software, you can really spot who's coming in, coming out, when they're in, when they're out, and, and reports and everything. It's just so amazing.
3: Yeah, it is. And it just it depends on the level of, of security that, that you need in your building or that you want in your building. Um, uh, that's that's the whole tiered approach that PASS takes. Is it it, it works from basic, uh, which is tier one in all these components, to to tier four, which is the most sophisticated levels. And you know the the schools can decide what's appropriate for them. But the two questions that school administrators struggle with is you know what should we do, and and how do we prioritize it? And, and that's. That's a question we get asked all the time, and I think the the biggest need we see out there in schools is just helping them understand where are we, what, what do we have, and then kind of what what do we need based on our risk assessment. Yeah, that, so that, that, yeah, that's the so guidelines true, yeah. help kind of
1: yeah yeah for sure. So it's, it's a process for sure. It, it's a complete and process. School administrators yeah.
3: are being bombarded. I'm sorry. Go
1: ahead, Neil. No, it's a complete process. And again, as I've found out from uh, some research, that a lot of these school districts have different roles and responsibilities for the security. So there's a lot of things. And you think about specific buildings. You might have a director of security, but you're monitoring seven different buildings. And then certain people are in charge of that building. And there's different rules and regulations and how to control that and funding. All these things are in play. And, and, you know,
3: Neil, that that just... That's absolutely true, and that feeds right back into you know what I, I was mentioning earlier, which is um, you know the the first layer of security we have in the guidelines is district wide, and you need to have district wide policies and procedures, and you need to have district wide uh, roles and training, so that you know to your point, when you have people in in the various buildings in charge of of the the safety of those buildings. They're all doing things the same way. Uh, they all know what to do when they, when they come to a certain, um, you know, it, it, they, they get into a certain situation. And that's the that's the, the importance of, of the whole roles and training piece. And I think you're going to be talking with Guy Grace at, at some point in your series here. And, and Guy has done a wonderful job um, at Littleton Schools implementing uh, roles and training. I've had the opportunity to sit through some of his, um, what he calls tabletops, uh, that help uh, schools understand: okay, who's in charge, who's second in charge, what are our roles and responsibilities, what do we do if kinds of things. And all these things are 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 also in the guidelines. So it's it's not just talking about locks and you know, exactly, card no. readers and things like that. It, yeah, it's it's the processes and procedures and you know, making sure your staff and students are vigilant.
1: And so, when you talk about let's talk about you said controlling the school entrances. Now, let's go into the interior classrooms. Once we're inside the building, there's a different type of layer of security, right?
3: Absolutely. Um, inside the building, um, years ago, uh, we had uh, before we had sprinkled buildings, we had uh, we had more doors, and we had what we call cross corridor doors. Those are the doors that kind of went across a corridor that were generally held open that allowed you know students to and staff and and folks to move freely in the building but in the event of a fire they would automatically close they were tied into a fire alarm right. system with the advent you know you, if you think about that in terms of you know why were those doors there those doors were there to contain and contain a danger meaning a fire into a specific area of the building keep it from spreading. With the advent of sprinklers, uh, we have fewer fire doors in, in our school, so we don't have as many cross-corridor doors. So when we consult with architects, we talk about uh, the fact that it's important to be able to segment a building in terms of security and containing danger into you know one area of the building and to keep it from moving around, if that makes sense.
1: It makes sense. So you're looking at the policies and procedures, not even talking about the monitoring of security if there is an incident, but if there's a fire, if there's a flood, if there's some specific things, there's got to be procedures of where the kids go in case of that emergency or earthquake or, or God forbid, a, 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 an active shooter.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So if, if there's danger in one area of the building, we want to contain it to that area of the building. And my point is, we used to have fire doors that, that would that would serve those needs. Now we don't have to put them as many cross corridor doors into our school buildings. So it makes it more difficult to kind of contain danger into a specific area of the building. So, you know, as part of our architectural component, which is another one of the components within the layers, we talk about being able to segment your building and block off, you know, areas of the building so that if there's danger or something going on in one area of the building, we can keep it there if that makes
1: sense. Yeah, it makes complete sense. And so you, you're you saying architecture needs to go back to the days of the fire doors almost, or ways that there are areas where you can cordon people off in all in one area.
3: Absolutely. Exactly right. And and your point about, you know, do the students know what to do and where to go? Um, that That's another important uh, piece of, of when you're thinking about safety and security. If you think about the fact we haven't lost uh, had loss of life in a school fire since the mid-50s, we practice. You know, we practice fire drills. People know what to do in the in the event of a fire. So planning, preparing, and practicing works. And it works the same way with safety uh, and security. So, you know, other uh, weather is another great example. Um, you know, schools go into lockdown all the time these days. Um, and having those kind of policies and practices in place help protect our students and staff uh, from danger that, that could be outside the building.
1: Absolutely. Wow. Again, we're talking to Mark Williams here from the past talking about controlling school entrances and interior classrooms for security. And and there's all these layers we talk about. One thing I would kind of recommend also talk about, you talked about that where to cordon them off and all that. What about identifying the security cameras motion inside the building a little different than we're talking about the outside of the building with access control? Can you explain that a little bit?
3: Well, interior cameras can, uh, they can be tied into access control systems. Uh, Typically, they are. Um, You look at, uh, I've been in in many schools where they have uh, security rooms where they have lots of monitors up. Um, The video uh, pieces of uh, technology today are vastly different than they were years ago. Um, We have pan, tilt, zoom. We have uh, motion-activated cameras. But, uh, yeah, it's important to be able to to know what's going on inside your building, and it's also important to know when it's happening. Um, you know, there have been instances where uh, law enforcement or responders have, have have come to a building and they're looking at video and they don't realize that the video they're looking at is on a 20-minute delay, so they're oh, yeah, not yeah. getting instantaneous information. Yeah. So videos are very important in terms of identifying where something might be going on and, and who might be responsible
1: for it. let see. That's awesome. Am I missing anything from when you're talking about the interior inside the building that we haven't talked about?
3: Well, I, yeah, I think that, you know, there, there's been uh, a huge uh, movement towards uh, like barricade devices, these devices that, uh, uh, schools are implementing to block their doors, their classroom doors. Um, you know, we, we spend a lot of time. First of all, they they violate life safety codes. Second of all, uh, they violate the ADA law. Um, and I would point out uh, that in the Sandy Hook Commission, the, the commission that went in and, and studied the Sandy Hook uh, event um, back in 2013, um, pointed to the fact that there's not one documented instance of an active shooter breaching a locked door. And that's what, you know, I think that's that's significant. Um, the Parkland, if you look at the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas um, Commission report, they talked about classroom locks. And one of the things we talk about in the, in the past guidelines with respect to classrooms is there's a lot of ways to lock the door. Um, right. The, the traditional classroom locks. Uh, traditional classroom locks were designed so the teacher would carry a key. They would come to their door. They would turn the key 360 degrees, which would unlock the outside lever, and they would leave it unlocked during the day. If they wanted to lock that door, they had to go out into the corridor, put their key in the lock, rotate it 360 degrees, close the door to have the outside lever locked. Uh, in the guidelines, what we talk about are, are various options where the teachers don't have to go into the corridors, out into the corridors, you know, if there's something going on out there, if, they, if they're if they in a lockdown uh, condition, uh, to lock those doors. And there's a number of different options from a push button, you know, just hitting a push button like you have on the front door of your house probably, uh, that locks that outside knob or lever uh, to more sophisticated um wireless uh, products that fit into uh, access control systems. Um, But locking your classroom doors, being able to lock your classroom doors is the the best thing you can do. Um, We're also talking a lot about uh, putting security film on windows that are in classroom doors. It's important to have visual access into rooms or uh, from inside the room out outside uh, into the corridors to see, you know, what's going on um there's been some instances like at at Parkland where uh the the shooter actually shot through glass oh my and God. the classroom doors didn't get didn't and incidentally today is the 1 year anniversary of the Parkland shooting oh my gosh um, and wow. you know our hearts and, and thoughts and prayers go out continue to go out for those families um but that we we learned a lot um there um when that shooter actually went up to the 3rd floor uh, was in a teacher's lounge and was trying to shoot through the glass down into the courtyard at the students who were fleeing the building. What what they found was there there was a hurricane film on those, on that glass. And what happened was as the as the bullets hit the glass, it actually fragmented the bullets and nobody was hurt. So we're seeing more yes, and more yes, movement definitely. towards putting this put putting a security film on uh, classroom glass doors or sidelights that, you know, again, it, it delays. I've seen exactly. videos of uh, security. Yeah. The security film, it takes, it takes somebody a minute and a half to shoot through it and then break through it. Uh, and in an active shooter uh, incident, they're not going to take time to do that.
1: They're definitely uh, not. They no. Yeah. Get in and, Exactly. They want to get in and get out. And if it's harder for them to do it, they're just not going to do it, Mark. And one thing, what about what did the past guidelines think about metal detectors? One of the older things where, you know, you're going through, do you think we should have metal detectors in a lot of the schools?
3: You know, um, there, there's a lot, there's a wide uh, range of opinions on that. What we are seeing uh, is we are seeing schools that put them in taking them out. Um, there's, there's several reasons for that. First of all, they're they're expensive. Second of all, um, they require a lot of maintenance and calibration. Third of all, students figure out ways to get things around them. Um, and you know, I, I think last but certainly not least is you know if you think about metal detectors, when do you find out someone's coming in with a gun, when, when they're they're standing right in front of you,
1: definitely. So um, and and that's where so, the surveillance so, helps you could spot these things before they happen and the medical detectors are not always the, the best thing. And it's hard and it takes time. It takes a lot, a lot of time and effort for sure, Mark. Interesting that we're going away from that.
3: Yeah. Well, and there's some emerging technologies, Neil, um, and some of the emerging excuse me, the emerging technologies around video is they're building Uh, artificial intelligence into video that actually uh, it's called um, weapons detection. So it can detect a weapon when uh, that someone's carrying a a hundred feet away. Um, When you think about metal detectors, you think about airports and, you know, everybody queues up. Think about what happens in a school and the logistics. You've got 500 kids coming to get into their classrooms and you've got to move 500 kids through a main entrance and metal detectors in 10 minutes. It doesn't happen. Um, with, with the advancement in, uh, tech in video technology, um, there are test sites out there, um, that, you know, that I've read about and, and talked with, with some integrators about, um, where, you know, huge amounts of people can move through the openings and, you know, you pick out the ones that are the problems.
1: We're back to the Toll Education Hour on 88.3 WRCT in Pittsburgh. Again, we're streaming live at WRCT.org, hashtag WRCT. Great discussion about uh, schools and school protection. Love having that segment. Excited to be part of the Toll Education Hour in specific ways. The last segment to jump out at the end of the show, real, real quick segment I wanted to jump on, and I, I thought this was really interesting that I shared on Facebook. It's gotten a little bit of comment. Not enough a bill would lower failing grades for public school performance to 39%. This is outrageous, and this is out in North Carolina. This is the most outrageous thing I've heard in my life, to say 39% failing. So what does that mean? That means that they are assessing that they're, the kids are failing far more, and if we can lower the bar, kids won't fail as much. The problem I have with that is that is just a really uh, a terrible situation because we're just saying, hey, kids, as long as you can reach 40%, you pass. That's 4 out of 10. And, oh, the, the, you know, the argument will be in North Carolina, hey, well, it's because the test scores. because Well, because we have higher standards, so kids are not going to perform as well when you score 4 out of 10 you don't feel good about yourself regardless of where it is and you're going to pass at 4 out of 10 a d is going to be 50% or a c what are the 39%s failing is 50% a c i want your comments and different situation on all these things and let me know by tweeting me at wrct and i appreciate you guys on and i really was excited about working with the pass the pass really is a great uh, tool for schools to really protect themselves K through 12 and to say, Hey, are they on the right track? Cause <laughs> we talked about, you know, arming teachers and all these crazy things. If we create a good system, uh, protecting our kids on colleges and universities, we're going to be in such a, uh, in college universities and also K through 12, we're going to be a lot better situation. And always Dr. Ferguson. He was, uh, I'm excited to have him as a contributor to the toll education hour. He is a phenomenal guy, very interesting, very, uh, the whole nature versus nurture conversation. And if you Google the guy looking at Wikipedia and stuff, say, wow, man, he has his own wiki. He really gets out there. And he's an exciting guy as well. And very excited about the push for the toll Education Hour to continue. Uh, Ten years in, and I thought, okay, I'm going to hang up my education all together. And the sor- this the weird situation is I'm bringing it back stronger than ever. Something about education. All life is about education. Everything's education in so many ways. And I love to teach people. And every week on my program, I hope I'm educating you. I hope I'm challenging you. And I'm hoping you to think about these specific topics that we talk about. And that's, that's the exciting thing, and I want to thank WRCT for that opportunity uh, over nine years ago to be part of this. And it's something that I'll never forget in the rest of my life. And it's something I love more than professional wrestling or teaching, is this. This is just a truly uh, an experience that I'll never forget, and I want to thank you guys. And I want to thank everyone that's involved with the Neil Haley Network's Total Education Hour. And uh, especially anyone that's taken a chance on me. Thank you. Thank you again for all those opportunities. And guys, next week, some more great education talk. Uh, We're going to be really delving into specific things. And I look forward to talking to you next week. Good day, everyone.
0: You are listening to a production of WRCT Pittsburgh. Any opinions expressed within are solely those of the participants and do not reflect the views of WRCT Radio Incorporated. Questions and comments can be addressed to the Public Affairs Director at pa.wrct.org or by calling 412-621-0728.